0: Uh, one of the things that we're passionate about as a church is leadership development, investing in others, raising up uh, godly men and women and equipping them and um, and helping them um, uh, grow uh, as they help lead the church. Um, and specifically, we want to raise up and invest into men who teach and preach uh, the word of God. Uh, And so Orion uh, Lopes, uh, most of you know Orion, he's one of our elders here at Pillar DC. um, And uh, he's going to be bringing the word this morning. He's going to be preaching. And uh, so this is Orion's first sermon um, that he has ever preached, actually. And so uh, we want to encourage Orion and we want to support him. Uh, And one of the things I just want to exhort all of us to do is to uh, humble ourselves before the word. Uh, And let me remind every single one of us in here that we're not here to critique a speech this morning we're here to hear from the word of God okay so um, we this is the word of God uh, being preached and proclaimed through one of his servants uh, and so uh, I just want us real quick let's just stop and uh, let's pray and, and ask God to speak to us and let's humble our own hearts and let's pray real quick for uh, Orion as he gets up father I thank you uh, for uh, the opportunity we have to hear Your Word, I pray that right now we would humble ourselves before You and that each one of us would listen to what You have to say, O oh God, to us this morning. And I pray that You would fill Orion with Your Spirit as he comes up, that his confidence would be in You, O oh God, and not in himself. In Jesus' name, Amen.
1: Thank you, Jared. Thank you for the uh, the introduction. and I'm honored to stand here before you today and read from God's Word and really bring you what... Uh, he brought me in Ecclesiastes 3, 1 through 15 today. Um, what Jared didn't tell you is he and I this week have been praying that this guy wouldn't show up this morning and that the Holy Spirit would. That we would only hear what Ecclesiastes 3 and what the Bible has to tell us this morning. And so um, I'm excited to do that. I'm excited to stand here before you and let the Holy Spirit work. Um, but I'm also going to jump right in. So if you'll turn with me to Ecclesiastes 3, 1 through 15. Uh, It's in the Old Testament between Proverbs and Song of Solomon right there, as you've heard Jared say over and over, right there about halfway in the middle of your Bible. Ecclesiastes 3, starting verse 1. For everything there is a season, and a time for every matter under heaven. A time to be born, and a time to die. A time to plant, and a time to pluck up what is planted. A time to kill, and a time to heal a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep, a time to laugh, a time to mourn, a time to dance, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep peace and a time to speak, a time to love, a time to hate, a time for war, and a time for peace. What gain has the worker from his toil? I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in his time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I, per- I perceive that there is nothing better for them to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. Please bow your head and pray with me for a moment. Dear Heavenly Father, today you've given us a word on time. It's, time is one of those things that we cannot, in this season, wrap our heads around fully. Lord, we're going to come to you today. We're going to ask that you show us a glimpse of your enormity. How big you are, Lord! Show us a little glimpse of sove- your sovereignty, and let it break us down. Let's show us that we are not who we think we are when we're by ourselves and we're we're boasting about what we've done. Lord, I, I pray that we we keep an eternal focus, and that we realize you are so much bigger than we can even imagine. But this morning, we seek to try to get a little more glimpse of what we had before. We seek to see a little more of your majesty and lift your name higher and higher. I ask that you do all this in the Holy Spirit this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, so if you've been with us the past three weeks, uh, we've been moving through Ecclesiastes. This is not the last uh, sermon on Ecclesiastes, but we'll continue to hear about vanity. That's This is the book about vanities. Over and over, we hear uh, about vanity to the point where it's, if, first glance, just want to throw your hands up, right? The, the preacher says, "Vanity of vanities," says the preacher. "Vanity of vanities, all is vanity." That's how he starts this book, right? Um, and he just doesn't stop, uh, right? I, I was thinking this week, like, why did I buy this shirt? It's vanity. Like, why? <laughs> why do I even go to school? It's vanity. Uh, savings account, vanity. Work, toil, vanity, vanity. Um, like a drum over and over, this is beat into our heads, so that we are clear that nothing we do under this sun is going to last. So, with that being said, the sermon is vanity, and I'll end here. No, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to do that. Um, <clears throat> I can't do that. Jared said I can't. Um, what? What? Um. But if we, according to the text, if we do not approach God in the right manner and fear Him correctly. This might as well be vanity. This might as well—I might as well wrap it up here. But like Jared preached in the previous weeks, the pastor or the preacher in this text is standing at the end of his life. Right? We have this wise man turned around, looking at his life, and warning us of his own past. He's explored all these things that we're exploring today to reach out and, and fill the emptiness in our lives, and he's saying those are those are just cisterns that don't hold living water. Those are. Those are not going to fill you up, right? He he lays out in Ecclesiastes 2 all the things he's done, right? If, if you've forgotten what he said, go back there and look at your own life. Are you chasing after some of the stuff he's already plowed the depths of? And then also remember, this frustration is caused by the fall of man. This is all caused in the beginning when sin entered this world. When we talk about the fall of man, specifically what I'm talking about is Genesis 3, right after... Um, Adam and Eve ate from the, uh, the fruit. And if you look with me at Genesis uh, three sixteen through 19. All right, this is going to be a foundation for this text, just like it's the foundation for Ecclesiastes. Um, so Ecclesiastes three sixteen. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing, and pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, and he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you, and pain you shall eat of it all of your days. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return." And the first thing I think is, why would an awesome and loving God do this to his children? Right? Why does he want women to experience significant pain during something that is so beautiful or desire to rule over her husband? Why would a loving father want us to struggle to find simple things such as food? Right? As a a father, I, I don't desire that for my daughter. Well, this leads me to the point of my sermon today where I believe the preacher is telling us here in Ecclesiastes 3 that it's our fallen state is just a season of this much bigger thing called eternity, right? And the fact that He limits our time is a blessing so that we exalt Him over all things, right? Our limitations lead to God's glorification. If if you're following along with me in your sermon notes today, uh, handed out at the beginning, that's the first one. Our limitations lead to God's glorification. And I'm going to give you a roadmap for where I'm going this morning. First, I'm going to walk through the text and show you what I believe the preacher is saying, the purpose for multiplying pain and placing limitations on us, the the thing that God does in Genesis 3. And then I'll close by showing three ways we can apply this to our lives so we can live a life that's glorified to God. So here we go. Ecclesiastes 3, verse 1. For everything there is a season... And a time for every matter under sun, or under heaven. Sorry. Uh, and that's your that's for first point. Everything has a season for a reason. You may be thinking, Wait a minute! Again, going back to the previous two chapters, we only heard that everything is vanity, and now the preacher's telling us there's a reason. You know, he even says that the, the our business is an unhappy business. What, what's he getting at here? Well, this phrase, the fact that this phrase stands out is important because he's going to illuminate the entire poem to follow with that phrase. He's about to talk about seasons. He's about to throw out seasons in this poem. But the ultimate desire is to show us that life is made up of these periods of time. right? And he has each for a reason, each period of time for a reason, even though he doesn't explicitly say it in the text to further set this poem up i want everyone just to take a moment and think about seasons you probably experienced in your own life right i, I start just basically thinking uh, spring summer fall and winter right but how about non cyclical ones like infancy or, or and then onto adolescence and adulthood right those are seasons how about personally deep ones like seasons of doubt right seasons of assurance Seasons of depression or joy. There are hundreds of ways we can cross-sect our lives into different seasons. And in all of these seasons, God is telling us the same rich story. So like the author here says, where there is a season, there is a matter. This is the most important thing to think about as we read through the poem again. A time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, and a time to be plucked up what is planted. A time to kill, a time to heal time to break down, a time to build up. A time to weep, a time to laugh, a time to mourn, a time to dance. time to cast away stones and gather stones together. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to seek and a time to lose. A time to keep, a time to cast away. A time to tear and a time to sow, A time to keep silence and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace." Also in this poem I think we can run into easily run into mental roadblocks especially when we jump ahead to where the preacher calls everything beautiful especially it's easy to get distracted by the nonchalant ways he says it's time to weep a time to hate a time for war he's not saying these things are beautiful as if god likes war as if god likes hate if god likes us weeping he's saying the reason the matter of the fact, the lesson to be learned in these seasons, that's what's beautiful. Right? Don't get lost by the fact he's talking about war. Think about what he's talking about as a whole picture. Just the same way we view the Bible, the same way we turn the lens on what God is saying as we read different books of the Bible, this is the same thing he's saying here. It's the matter contained with these, in these seasons. It's the fruit that's born between plucking and, or planting and plucking. It's the joy of finding something that was once lost. It's the discernment found in silence and speaking. The heart transformation between love and hate. Our lot on this earth is to experience these seasons in a deep way. God doesn't sit us down here and lecture us. He does give us his word and it is sufficient and it is perfect. But for all the details, he's filling in with our life, with these seasons. So as I was thinking this week about how I can encourage you to see through particularly difficult seasons in your life, to see past pain and struggles and the purpose and the lesson to be learned, it dawned on me that not only are we subjected to seasons, but God has done something even more incredible. He's let us create. He's let us create our own seasons. And the example I'm thinking about specifically and it's easy in my life, but like boot camp or basic military entry uh, level training. If you think about it, training for war is in, in a small way a microcosm of God's decision to curse the world, right? Under normal conditions, the societal norms that govern a society would protect you from the pains and injustices you experience at boot camp or entry level training. I mean, where else in a, such a dramatic way can you find a place where society has agreed, come together, for a specific a period, and said for a specific period of time, such as 13 weeks, pain is okay to be used as a person, for a purpose. I mean, also, it's an institution that's been around ever since the first wars were fought. Right? This is not something we just came up with now. Ever since the first wars, men have found it beneficial to subject other men to the taste of the hardships of war in order to train them so that they may live, that they may stay alive. This is huge. How can we get frustrated with God's ordained plan from Genesis 3 and the limitations he places on us when we ourselves have thought it wise to subject other humans to this plan for a purpose? Physical exhaustion, extraordinary mental stress, Minimal food, continuous drill, the list goes on and on and on. It's usually not the blatantly beneficial pains that frustrate us either at boot camp or entry-level training, whatever it may be, like rifle training. That's easy to explain. But think about all the other vanities and menial parts of um, boot camp. All right? Just, I'm just taking socks on and off because you're not doing it fast enough. Fast enough for what? <laughs> right? Is, is the point to be standing there with holes in my socks because my toenails ripped them? Being humiliated, standing in formation for long periods of time while the heat of the pavement comes through your shoes, right? What, what does that have to do with war? But it, but it's more than vanity, though, isn't it? This is a season that is meant to transform normal s- citizens into war fighters. It's not just a simple lesson. It's an entire life change that beginning has a beginning, and it has a very definite end. There's a graduation. There's a, there's a ceremony. There's, a, there's an ending to this. doesn't mean the hardships are going to stop, but there's an end to that season. And the reason society not only accepts this process but views it as noble is because the reason is so important. I mean, what is a 13-week season in a person's life in comparison to the protection of an entire nation? What we see here in this first part is not only the fact that all seasons are temporary, but they're also ordained by God for the purpose contained within. Plucking, killing, laughing, dancing, sewing, building. They're not the end-all, be-all. War. We're experiencing something much deeper, much richer. This leads me to my second point. In the next blank, point two, our life is a season for a reason. Going back to verse two, a time to be born and a time to die. In comparison to eternity, this is just a season, right? These are the bookends of a season we call life. I'm going to use an example from R.C. Sproul here. Um, I thought it was really good. But when was the last time you looked at the inscription on most tombstones, right? The common facts you find on almost all of them are, right, the individual's name or title. You have a date of birth and you have a date of death, right? I don't know about you, but that sounds like a compassing season, like a graduation certificate or something like a, a final picture of a person's life. Well let me take this step a little bit for, this thought a little bit further. Let's say after you die and we die, and you were keeping a photo album in eternity, right? You want to capture everything that's happening because it's God glorifying and it's great. And one of those pictures in your photo album is a picture of your tombstone, right? The last part of that season, right, right there. And four billion years from now, right, billions like hundred years is is nothing. You're gonna look back on that photo and be like, Oh, I remember that time. Right? It happened so quick, I can, barely, what? I can barely remember what happened. Man, I used to think I knew it all, right? <laughs> right? And uh, David was also aware of this in Psalms 39, 4, and 5. Oh God, make, my, make me know my end and what is the measure of my days. Let me know how fleeting I am. Behold, you have made my days a few hand breaths. My lifetime is as nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands a mere breath so I did the math, four billion years from now, in eternity, your perspective, your perspective will have changed so much that a hundred years will feel like less than a second. Literally, your breath hung longer in the freezing air yesterday than in comparison to a hundred years in eternity. Your, your lifetime is quite literally, like David says, nothing before God. Nothing. As I even talk about this, I'm just thinking of God laughing at four billion years, right? Are we starting to wake up this morning to the enormity of God, right? Do we truly have a clear view of how big God is and how small we are? We can't. That's why every day I open this, I was like, Lord, every day you are showing me how much more bigger you are. Let's jump to Ecclesiastes 3.11. God has shown us one of the things that He has done to help us see just how big He is. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, He has put eternity into man's heart, yet so he cannot find out what God has done from beginning to end. This fact that we we know in our heart there is eternity, it changes everything. The life is not the end. For example, what would winter be without spring? Planting without harvest. The fact that there is a temporary end, a page break, end of a season, should remind us that there is more to follow. So what the preacher is telling us here is that God has confined us within the bounds of time, and we can't know what he has done, but we can rest assured that God does, and God knows. A great psalm to go with this is Psalm ninety one through three. Lord, you have been in our you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were bro- brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting you are God. You return man to dust and say, "Return, O my children." For a thousand years in your sight are but a yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. Again, just. So big. The psalmist is making the same point the preacher here is making in Ecclesiastes 3. God has put us within the confines of a broken creation to show us that he is God and we are not. God has created an entire universe by merely speaking it into existence. In Genesis 3, he limited our lifespan. right? And then later in Genesis 11, he saw fit to gradually shorten lifespans on this earth. So here we see that not only does he have the power to create seasons, he's still changing them. He's not sitting back while this world is on autopilot. He's involved. He holds time in the palm of his hand like a tool that he's using. He's huge. It's mind-boggling that we constantly forget that. But rest assured, we all forget that because of sin. We forget that because of our sin. Sin is constantly lying to us and trying to steal our joy by switching our perspective. Sin whispers in our ear. You're always going to be stuck in this phase of life. You should have got that position. You deserve this. You deserve that. You should have, could have, or would have. But listen to me, these are lies. He's saying that throughout this book, and God says it throughout His book. That's not what God is saying to us. That's not what he's whispering in our ears or proclaiming loudly. So let's go back to verse 11. He has put eternity in our hearts. What does that mean? God put eternity in our hearts when he promised a Savior to rescue us from this broken world. There is something, this is something the Jews would have understood through Old Testament covenants, like we're reading in um, Jared reiterated today. And what we fall under today as the New Covenant. Without these covenants, our life is void. There would be no eternity in our hearts. All of it's vanity. But God is good, and He is loving, and he is all-powerful. And because of this, He knows what's best for us, so He limits this time on this earth. He creates this season. He molds it perfectly. That's what the, that's the new covenant He makes with us is so beautiful. Like Ecclesiastes 3.2 said, there's a time to live and a time to die. We may die here on this earth, but God has a plan and a way for us to live in eternity by sending His one and only Son, who came, born, and lived just like us, except a, a sinful, sinless life. All man, all God. And bearing the weight of our sin, He died a death that we deserve so that we may know Him for eternity. And then three days later, he didn't just take sin with him to the grave, but he left it there and he rose again, saving us. right? So that we may know him and we may glorify him forever. With the defeat of our sin, our lives are no longer vanity. He's a savior. The very very word savior means there's life after. You were going to die, a savior come, and now you're alive and only through Jesus Christ. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ, or that's the first time you've heard that, what I just told you, this is the difference between living this life for nothing and living eternity for something. Please let someone, if this is you, please let someone here at Pillar DC know that how we can pray for you. Find me after service, fill out a Connect card. I mean, if the Holy Spirit's compelling you right now, raise your hand in your seat be surprised what the Holy Spirit will do. Go ahead, but whatever you don't do, don't leave here today with the desire for eternity in your heart and the nagging feeling that something should be better, that this world isn't right and we need to fix it. Don't don't leave here with that feeling today because this is it. This The new covenant through Jesus Christ is that. So from here... Take a look at how this text applies to our lives so that we're giving Him glory. How should we respond and live our lives so that we see how our limited time leads to God's glorification? Right? This is Ecclesiastes 3. All about time. And what he's saying is our limited time, because of that, it's glorifying to God. Verse 14, I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken away. God has done it so that people fear before Him. That which is, already has been. That which is to be, already has been. And God seeks what has been driven away. And so my first application point this morning is right there, fear God. Only when we fear God rightly do we truly glorify God. This connection between fearing God and giving Him glory is seen through Scripture, all throughout Scripture. Psalms 102, 15. All the kings of earth will fear your glory. Luke 2, 9. An an, just an angel coming with the glory of God around him causes fear, great fear, for the shepherds. Revelation 14.7 And he said with a loud voice, fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come and worship him who has made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. When I think about why it is hard to fear God, I was wrestling with that one this week. Why is it hard to fear God? Then I realized it goes back to the enormity of God. He's not elevated high enough in our hearts and our minds and our souls. Instead, we put other things there and make them our God and we fear them. Think about money. We fear losing it. We fear not getting enough of it. We fear what people that do possess a lot of money can do. How about families? Don't we make them a God too? Fear them. We fear they'll withhold love from us. We fear their judgment or letting them down. How about promotions and job titles? Food and drink. Not having enough food. Or being happy with it. We may be happy with these things for a moment, but they do not scratch the the itch in our hearts for eternity. Even in this lifetime, they decay too quickly. We are able to, we are able to fear God like Jeremiah 33.9 says, They shall fear and tremble because of the good and prosperity I provide. He's a good father. He shortens our time here on this earth so that we may know him faster. But also while simultaneously realizing that Christ is the one holding the keys to death in Hades. Right? The good father is also the all-powerful. And that's, and that's from Revelations 1.18. So let's stop fearing the little idols and instead fear God. Fear the one that uses time. Fear not having enough God. Fear not being in relationship with Him for eternity. Fear the fact that apart from Jesus Christ, your life is in vain. And this leads me to my second point. Put idols to shame. You may be saying, wait a minute, doesn't God do that? Well, if I'm standing here speaking with the Holy Spirit and He's within me, that means He's speaking truth to myself. He's speak- we speak truth to ourselves when we open the Word. Putting sh- idols to shame is what God does through His Word and His promises. Again, our hearts are naturally drawn to eternity. Christians and non-Christians ser- crave something to worship. It's that eternity. Sin tempts us with money, family, fame, like they're going to live on after after we die. We keep heaping our time and energy into this bottomless pit, ludicrously thinking that it's filling up. We need to stop doing this and remind ourselves through prayer, reading the Bible that these are idols we fear and worship and that one day God is going to show us the foolishness of our ways. Look up shame in the Bible. You'll find idols right along with it. It's going to put them to shame. Again it goes back to fear in God. When we fear God rightly we elevate him to his proper place while simultaneously we realize our proper place. When we walk with this posture towards God, we follow His commands. We experience His goodness. We learn to delight in His promises over the empty promises of the world to include in hardships and times of trial. This means that every moment is as good as it's going to get because God ordained it that way. Listen to me here. Do not let Satan lie to you and tell you there is something better you could be doing. There is no alternate reality out there. No matter what Avengers tells you. (laughs) Sorry, I had to use that. Your, Your relationships are the way they are right now for a reason. Your health is the way it is right now for a reason. Your paycheck is the way it is right now for a reason. Realize you are where you are right now in these seats because God is sustaining you and He's holding you in place at this very moment for His glory. This is God's sovereignty. This is what we seek to to know better. And it's this exhilarating revelation that causes us to delight in our toil, that we're not in control, that right now is where He wants us. And this leads to my final application point and the reason for this season uh, to share the gospel. Share the gospel. If we are delighting in our toil because we have a hope and assurance and a Savior for eternity, how can we not share this good news? It's an overflowing of the pleasure we find in our walk with God. If the Holy Spirit is working through you, you're also sharing this with yourself. Sharing the gospel is to the entire world. right? The rocks proclaim who God is. The gospel is not just the first four books of the New Testament. Those are the gospels. We we call it that. But the gospel means good news. It's literally the entire, entire Bible. It's from Genesis to Revelation. God is proclaiming his good news that all that is good will be eternal. And he loves us. And he wants what is best for us. And he's always had this plan to reconcile his children back to us. And he's always had this plan to conform us in an image of his son Jesus Christ this is the se- this is the reason for the season to share himself not just with words but actually be a part of it and experience it when we do this from the joy in our ha- hearts god is most glorified praise the lord we don't have to live forever in a broken world right <laughs> The last verse I'm going to leave you here with comes from 1 Corinthians 15. 51, sorry. 1 Corinthians 15, 51. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable. And this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on the immortality, then we shall come to pass the saying that is written. Death is swallowed up in victory. O oh, death, where is your victory? O oh, death, where is your sting? Only through the blood of Jesus Christ, though, do we know that. And so I'm going to close in prayer. And Jared's going to come up and lead us in response to this word with the Lord's Supper. Please bow your heads. Dear Heavenly Father, we can't do this without You. We don't do this without You, but we tend to convince ourselves we we can. Lord, we need Your Holy Spirit to fear You so we can accurately worship You and elevate You above all things, Lord, because you are the creator, you are the everlasting. Lord, I thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, that we may know eternity with you. Lord, as we take your your supper, I pray that you um, open our hearts, let us see it in a fresh way. Let us celebrate the new covenant with you this morning in a worthy manner that gives you all glory, honor, and praise. In Jesus' name, amen.